Friends podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Singer. I'm a Christian writer and blogger living in the beautiful state of Alaska. I'm also a trauma survivor and a mental health advocate. I've been through some tough things in my life, and I'm sure you have too. Grace Moments is about helping you hold on to belief in your darkest hours, embrace hope by knowing your suffering is never wasted, and be inspired by the stories of others who have survived their own tragedy. Life, however difficult, can be a meaningful journey, and I'm here to walk it with you, so let's do this together. In recent years, the subject of mental health has become increasingly talked about, and well it should. For too long, people have denied and disregarded the very real and powerful presence of mental distress on society, leaving many to feel alone and without support. As a mental wellness advocate, I am acutely in tune with the signs of mental distress, so I can't really unsee the needs surrounding this issue, and I'm often discouraged at the lack of public engagement on this front. One look at the statistics, and it doesn't take an expert to realize that our world is more depressed, stressed, anxious, and vulnerable than maybe ever before. Even though we now have a Mental Health Awareness Month and the public is more apt to talk about the reality of mental distress than in past generations, I think it's still an overwhelming problem that leaves the average person feeling incapable of doing anything about it. It's staggering when you realize that, according to a report done by Mental Health America, 4.58% of adults report having serious suicidal thoughts an increase of over 600,000 people from just last year's data set. Since 2011, the national rate has steadily increased every single year, and there's been a big spike just in the last couple years with the effects of the pandemic taking a toll on everyone. Over 15% of youth acknowledge they live with major depression, an increase of over a percentage point since 2021. Over two and a half million youth have severe depression, and rates of substance abuse are increasing for both youth and adults, even prior to the COVID crisis. Nearly 8% of the adult population in the U.S. and over 4% of American youth have a substance abuse disorder in the last year. For any compassionate person, this data is both alarming and disturbing. And sometimes I think we hear stuff like this And while we are stunned and troubled by this reality, most of us feel totally at a loss as to what to do about it. We either end up trying to put it out of our mind and convince ourselves somebody else will help, or we try to help but end up going about it the wrong way. An interesting study in 2013 conducted at the University of British Columbia noted that people who show support for their favorite causes on social media are less likely to actually donate money or volunteer their time. Feeling compassionate is apparently enough, and as sad as this is to admit, I think it's also true that it's not just happening on social media, but that all of us to some extent treat the suffering of others in this way. We've trained ourselves to think that we are caring about an issue because we are stirred or distressed about it, but it never translates into the kind of radical action that truly makes a difference. And when it comes to something like mental health, I believe we think that the problem is too big for one little person like us to even make a dent in the problem. Therefore, we never try to, and we keep our distance as far from it as we can, 
while still encouraging those going through mental distress to go get help and leaving it to the so-called experts to take it from there. But if you look at what scriptural compassion looks like in the life of Jesus and his followers, you'll notice a startling theme. Matthew fourteen fourteen through 21 And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. Mark 1, 41 Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and touched him. Matthew twenty thirty four. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. Luke seven thirteen. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. In all these instances, did you notice the pattern? Jesus was moved with compassion and. Compassion isn't just about feeling sorry for someone. Biblical compassion is always accompanied by action. Jesus wasn't content just to feel bad for a person's situation. He was willing to then go and do something about it. In his insightful book, One at a Time, Pastor Kyle Eidelman notes that this power of and, as he calls it, has the ability to transform how we see and help those around us. He observes that while most of our personal emotions tend to be determined by how we are feeling at any given time, Jesus's were determined by what others were experiencing, and his most frequently mentioned emotion in the Gospels is compassion. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines compassion as sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. Truth is, many people just stop at the desire part and never put feet to their feelings, never reach the end in their own compassion story, like what Jesus did. With this sad but real fact in mind, I want to dive into something Eidelman talks about in his book, and I believe it holds the key to truly beginning to solve the mental health crisis of our time. But it won't make sense unless we realize that movement always goes along with compassion. It's simply not enough to feel sorry for another's condition, especially if you have the power to do something about it. Kyle wrote this book one at a time with the goal of challenging people to an unexpected way that God can use them to change the world. And it's this. The way you begin to make a difference isn't by focusing on the crowd. It's by concentrating on the one. He notes that during Jesus' earthly ministry, when we read of personal encounters he had with people, it was almost like Jesus did life with a zoom lens. Whatever distractions or demands were going on at the moment faded into the background when Jesus stopped to heal or speak to someone in need. That one individual was the only thing that mattered to Jesus at that moment. The crowds, the noise, the responsibilities were all still there. They hadn't left. But the person in need became the sole focus of the story for Jesus because he was only locked in on them and their situation. Jesus loves everyone in the crowd, Kyle writes, but the way he loves them is one at a time. When someone stood in front of Jesus, time stopped. Everything else in his life, all his concerns, his agenda, his goals, blurred and disappeared. He was always fully present. Eidelman continues by saying that this concept, once God revealed it to him, wrecked him and changed both his personal life and his church. 
he began to see that especially as a pastor, it's easy to focus on the crowd and feel pressure to spread your compassion across a massive scale of people all at once, not realizing that the way you love the group is to love them one at a time. That's what Jesus did. Take, for instance, Christ's encounter with the woman at the well. He could have held one of his famous open-air preaching sessions and talked to the entire Samaritan town and tried to heal and convert everyone all at the same time. He certainly had the power to do that, but he didn't. Instead, he focused on the one, the woman, and from there, the ripple effect happened. She then brought the town and told them to meet the man who told me all the things I've done and invited them to have a real personal encounter with Jesus. And I might add, it's possible by going about it this way, it was far more effective in convincing the crowd to listen because the proof was in one of their own. Maybe they wouldn't have paid as much attention to Jesus if he had tried to minister to them all at once. But because the woman had a one-on-one encounter with him, that opened their ears and eyes to who he was and what he had to say. The way Jesus changed the world was to love the next person right in front of him, to listen to their need, hear their story out, focus on how to alleviate their pain, and all the while allow compassion to move him to action at every turn. Now, he didn't heal or help all the people he encountered, but he always helped the one, and that sometimes was enough to turn entire communities upside down. I want to propose that following this model, the key to solving the mental health crisis we're facing is learning to love the next person right in front of us. We can't save all the mentally distressed people in the world, but our compassion and our action just might help one in our path today. Think about it and be honest. How many times have you probably had contact with a coworker or school classroom, someone in your dorm or someone in your church or grocery store, maybe even your Uber driver? How often have you had a conversation or situation come up where it's clear that person is having a hard time and going through a lot? Something has perhaps compelled them to share with you or maybe you've just simply noticed because your eyes and ears were open. You had compassion because you saw or heard the need. You had a desire to do something about it, but you hesitated. Maybe you thought you didn't have the skills to help, or you were uncomfortable getting so entrenched in a problem you weren't sure how to solve. Or as Kyle Eidelman proposes, you either convinced yourself somebody else would handle it, or maybe more truthfully, you really didn't care enough to actually go and do something. Perhaps you're actually thinking of a specific situation in your life right now as I speak of this, When this scenario happened and you've carried some guilt or regret over not being willing to step out and go love on that person when you had the chance to. In some cases, it might have been your one and only time and any time later might have been too late. Sadly, perhaps they overdosed on drugs shortly after that, or they committed suicide, or they went to jail, or they were raped and abused. As hard as it is to think about, What if that small moment in time when that person crossed your path was your singular opportunity to go love the one that God has specifically and providentially ordained you to help? On a more basic level, what about that quiet person who slips in the back row of your church each week, or that rough character who comes in to do business with you regularly? Have you ever taken the time to let the Zoom lens do its work and to tune things out around you long enough to actually focus on that person and what they need? 
Have you blown off their feeble attempts to share or open up to you? Have you left it simply at, I'm so sorry, and never let your compassion move you to action? Maybe you're actually really good at noticing people around you and doing a lot of extra things to exercise one-at-a-time love. And if so, that's tremendous. The world needs more people like you. The Christian community needs more people like you. But if you're one of those who found yourself on the fence a bit when it comes to taking that step of courage and being willing to hone in on who God is putting in your path today, perhaps this is a wake-up call to you to start paying more attention to who that one is in your world that you can concentrate on. Working in the mental health field as much as I do, I hear stories all the time of people who feel like their entire journeys might have been different if someone had just taken the time to hear them out and love on them without judgment, to notice needs or look for ways to make a difficult time easier for them. As harsh as it sounds, I've heard many who say they'll never darken the doors of a church ever again because they felt like everyone was out to fix them instead of trying to get to know them and really help them. They felt like they were just a face in the crowd instead of the one who was actually seen and heard. My heart breaks every time I hear these stories because it makes me realize that living one-at-a-time lives takes intentionality, and it takes prayer. It takes being so in touch with the Father, as was Jesus, that who is the next person in front of you to love becomes clear, and most of us just aren't willing or are too busy to actually do what it takes to start moving and acting with this level of deliberate love. I've been on the receiving end of both the wide-angle lens approach as well as the zoom lens, and I can tell you that the zoom lens approach works every single time. Because in that moment, whoever that person was that was focusing on me and my need made me feel closer to Jesus because they were being Him at that instant to me and my situation. Wide-angle lens living might make us feel like we're doing more and reaching more with our time, energy, and investment, but the reality is we'll also feel less purposeful, more drained, and way more overwhelmed because we'll always feel like we're not making a difference in the way we'd like to. The mental health crisis isn't going away anytime soon, and particularly after the last couple years, we've got a bigger issue on our hands to deal with than ever before. It's easy to be bewildered by the magnitude of this problem and wonder how in the world one individual can begin to chip away at this and help turn this thing around. Well, maybe it starts with one at a time. Jesus' way is always, after all, the best way. And we never want to find ourselves in that company of people described in James two fifteen through 17 where if someone has an obvious need, we respond by saying, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them what they need. Our faith without the works to back it up means nothing. Mental health issues, while often disguised, can still seep out into every aspect of life. They have to. Emotions and feelings and thoughts always seek an outlet. And if you know what to look for, or at the very least are bringing open eyes and ears to the situation, you will often get a glimpse into the real story behind what is going on. We all need safe people in our lives who will reflect Jesus' one-at-a-time approach, who will make us feel as though we are the most important thing in the world at that moment, that we are never a bother or a drag, and that other things can wait momentarily if necessary in order to make sure we feel seen and heard and taken care of. It's easy to say and harder to do, I know, but it's at the heart of how Jesus dealt with distressed people in his path, 
and I believe it's the way to slowly begin to address the mental health crisis we find ourselves in. Next time someone is in your path, ask God for the grace to see and hear them as He would, to get your Zoom lens activated and focus on loving them fully and completely present in that moment. Do not brush aside their problem or to shut down their voice, but to take that divinely appointed opportunity to make a difference in their life by something kind, thoughtful, or understanding you say and do for them that perhaps makes things a little easier. After all, we're all just looking for a friend to help us along the way. You never know how one simple gesture of care or a few minutes of your time could change a life, or even save a life, and how that one life could then go on to impact thousands, all because you were willing to live one-at-a-time love. We are Jesus' ambassadors. He's not physically present anymore to touch these needs, and that's why he's left us to be that literal manifestation of his character to those we meet. We may be their only exposure to the kind of radical love Jesus exudes. So let's get out of our agendas a bit more and start looking around us with open hearts and hands. Together, by activating compassion and loving the next person in front of us, we can showcase our Savior to a desperate world who needs him, and start to see those alarming statistics come down, and this mental health monster can begin to be tackled once and for all. Thanks so much for listening. If you liked what you heard on today's episode, please subscribe to this podcast as well as leave a review. If you want to read additional content, please visit and subscribe to my blog at www.graceopens.blogspot.com. You can also connect with me on social media via Twitter at Open to Grace 2015, Instagram and Parlor at Open to Grace Alaska, and on MeWe under my name, Katherine Singer. I'll see you in the next episode, and remember, Grace will always meet you where you are.